So good morning, Firewheel family. Um, it is good to be with you all, and to those of you that I have come to call friends, and those of you that we have known and loved so dear uh, here at Firewheel, my wife Jen and I, um, I, we send our love and our greetings to you, and it's so good to see some of your faces and hugs today and the conversations we've already had offline. Uh, for those of you, uh, you I have not had the pleasure to meet yet, my name is Adrian Pina, Pastor Adrian Pina. And my journey with Firewheel began over 12 years ago. So I was thinking back that uh, back when Firewheel, we were meeting in Naaman Forest High School doing portable church. Uh, those days, I don't miss those days, setting up, oh man, road crew at like 5 a.m. in the morning. I don't miss those days. But it was something, there was this camaraderie that was built as we were kind of getting everything set and just the, those wonderful days in ministry as I served as an intern when I was uh, finishing my studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. So my journey goes back to 2010. This has always been home for us for the last 12 years. This place has always been and will always be home for Jen and I. Uh, Firewall has a very special place in our hearts. Uh, I consider myself a son of this house. And what I mean by that is that I have, was licensed and ordained for ministry from here and essentially released from here uh, when we went on to pastor as lead pastors in New Jersey at Shady Rest Bible Church over in Chesterfield, not knowing what God was going to do there for our ministry. In seven and a half years, we were able to serve there. We were planted in New Jersey, serving faithfully, and then God started stirring, stirring our hearts uh, about, for Jen and I, about pursuing our doctorates. And, Little did we know what that meant. We didn't know that that meant that that would bring a, a unique circumstances and ways in which God would bring us back to Dallas. Uh, the church didn't want us to leave. We had no intention of leaving at that point either. Uh, so we uh, essentially left voluntarily, knowing that we wanted to, what has become kind of a statement of faith for us over the last number of years is we wanted to be obedient more than be comfortable. We wanted to be obedient more than we wanted to be comfortable. So God brought us back and led us back to this journey, back to DTS, and ultimately back to Firewheel, which was like just breathing a breath of fresh air and coming back home. I'd love to tell you the incredible story offline about how God, during the middle of COVID, presented an opportunity for two churches to merge together and allowed a vibrant and growing and still very healthy ministry that's happening at the property that used to be called Shady Rest Bible Church uh, and is still going today. Now, I want to start by just saying something before we pray, and then we'll get into today's message. I don't want you to see me being up here today as any type of indicator that I am not hurting right alongside of you. I realize that today is a very unique Sunday for Firewill and a very unique Sunday for Jen and I, as lots of things have transpired over the last couple of months. Jen and I love this place. We love the people here. We love you, Firewill. We always have. We always will. So when the elders called us and called me to ask to potentially serve as pulpit supply, I immediately, it was like without hesitation, Jen and I both looked at each other and said, how can we not help? We love these people. How can we not serve? Because God brought us here, must have us here for such a time as this to be able to be used to serve during this season of transition. All that to say, I am very hopeful for the future of Firewheel because of the incredible people here. But I am also very hopeful because I know the greatness and the faithfulness of our God. And I have experienced it firsthand, and I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and He is good. Amen. He's good, isn't He? I believe He's good. 
So why don't we go ahead and open with a word of prayer, then we're going to transition to what we're going to uh, share with you uh, this morning. So let's just pray. So Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity to be able to be together here as a family here at Firewheel Bible Fellowship. Thank you for the faithfulness that you have shown over the 80 plus years of ministry that has gone on with this ministry. Thank you for, the, for your faithfulness, Lord, that even when we are faithless, Lord, you are always faithful. And so, Lord, we commit our hearts to you today and we commit our lives and we say, Lord, have your way with this church because this is your church. And Lord, we do pray that um, as we share the word, I pray that I would step aside and that your word would go forward and that, Lord, you would take this word and that you would cause it to multiply. That, Lord, it would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, challenge us where we need to be challenged. But I pray above all that we would have ears to hear and a heart to receive. And, Lord, our eyes and focus would be directed up today towards you. It's in the most precious and holy name of Jesus we can pray and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. So what I want to talk to you this morning about very briefly is I want to talk, I want to try to answer this question. What does it mean for believers to be the people of God? What does it mean for believers to be the people of God? I kind of want to redirect our focus because I think what we need to focus on today is that as we come together as believers in Jesus, we come, to, we come as a small part of this big, beautiful, universal thing that God calls the church. And what does it mean for the church to be the church? What does it mean for us to be believers in Christ? So recently, Jen and I went to Ecuador, and I know many of you follow us on Facebook and saw some of the different pictures we shared during our mission trip to Ecuador. Many of you guys faithfully praying for us, and we had incredible ministry there. And so we have grown to love that country and the people there. Now, I want to share something with you that's interesting. So in Ecuador, number one is that they, uh, they're the same time zone that we are, which is kind of cool. So you don't have that jet lag kind of craziness when you get to Ecuador. But one thing that's very interesting is they use American currency. So they don't have their own currency. They use American dollars and American coins. The only form of currency they have that's theirs is certain coins. So I know that you can't see this, so I think we got a picture of it on the screen. So they have their own coins. They use our dollar bills. So every time you would purchase something when we were in Ecuador, inevitably, it was like a game. And it was like, game on. I'm up for a challenge. It was like every single time we purchased something, they'd give you back a few dollar bills, but they would always give you a mishmash full of coins, and it always included Ecuadorian coins. It was my whole job in life to get rid of every Ecuadorian coin before we left the country. Because you know why? I can't use this thing in America. It's not exactly like I can go and put this in a machine or try to use this. Somebody's going to look at this, and they're going to say, uh, you can't use that here. And why can't I use it here? because it does not have the distinct markers of American currency, right? There's a few things that are a little bit different that, uh, about it. So this is an Ecuadorian half dollar, and that's what's on the screen. And it's about the same size as our half dollar, except if you notice, John F. Kennedy's face is not on it, all right? So JFK's face is not on it. If you actually pick this thing up, it's a little bit heavier. It also has other different indicating markers that are very specific to Ecuador. It has the Ecuadorian flag on it. It has Spanish. It doesn't have English. So rightfully so, I cannot use this coin in America because even though it has some familiar kind of things that look like the American version, it is not the same thing as its American counterpart. It has distinctive features. Here's my point. My point is, is that believers in Jesus have distinctive features. We have things that set us apart. 
There are things that set us apart from the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Why are we not of the world? We're not of the world because we've been called out from the world and because we have different markers and indicators and different features that make us unique. And so there are different things that mark us, if we could say it that way, as the people of God. Things that make us different. So what I would like to share with you today is just three of those things from the book of Second Peter, uh, book of First Peter, chapter two. I'm sorry, book of First Peter, chapter two. So here's the one big idea I want you to walk away with today: is this that the people of God. I'm using that term, that phrase, people of God, interchangeably with the church, the church universal, okay? So the people of God are distinct from the world because we've been called out from the world. Let me say that again. The people of God are distinct from the world because we have been called out from the world, okay? Now as we get into this passage, let me set a little context for you. The book of 1 Peter is actually written to Jewish Christians that have been dispersed out in various different regions around Israel. Okay, so they've basically been scattered, and, and Peter's writing this letter to those Jewish Christians. So we're going to see some terminology today that for a Jewish audience would make sense when he's talking about certain things that would bring them, to, bring them back to their Old Testament roots. But 1 Peter begins with this call to salvation, if you read chapter 1, and a charge to live holy in light of the fact that we have this salvation, this living hope, he tells us, to which we have been born again. Now chapter 2 picks up with an exhortation to put away all of those things that represent an old way of life, those old markers and indicators, and then start living according to a new way of life that basically now represents who we are in Christ. So where we pick up our text, Peter is exhorting his readers, these Jewish Christians who have been scattered, to know who they are and who they belong to since they have believed in Jesus in contrast to those who have rejected Jesus. So as those who have received and believed in Jesus, this is who they are in contrast to those who have rejected him. Okay? That's very important. So what's the first marker? What's the first indicator that he's going to talk about? If we look at verse 9, the first indicator that I want to point out to you is that as the people of God, we have been chosen. We have been chosen. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You should highlight chosen and highlight for his own possession. So Peter's going to begin to lay out some incredible spiritual blessings that we have. And he starts off by basically saying we are chosen and we are a people for his possession. What does it mean to be chosen, this chosen group of people? It emphasizes God's initiative. God's the one who chooses. God is being the one who's making the initiative. If you think about this back to your Old Testament, Abram, the man we now call Abraham, Abram was a pagan worshiper, and God chose him. There was nothing distinct about Abraham. There was nothing significant from other false believers and, you know, uh, false worshipers that God decided to choose Abraham and then make a nation of him. So then he communicates to this man, Abram, and says, I'm going to make your descendants like the grains of sand and like the stars in the sky. Then all of a sudden he chooses Abraham, and Abraham's course in life is completely changed. It, signif it signifies that God takes the initiative. Ladies and gentlemen, we do not take initiative toward God. We don't. 
when we come to faith in Jesus, it's because God's starting to convict our hearts, because God's sending people to tell us the gospel. It's because God's working all these circumstances to bring the reality of who he is. Our response in faith is just that. It's a response. It's a response to the initiative of God. You and I, we could do, if we could lose our salvation or if we could do anything to earn it, then we, there's nothing we would be able to do. And we would lose that salvation because we don't take the initiative. God is the one convicting us of sin. God is the one who brings that person along to share the gospel with us. God is the one who's using all these circumstances and situations and these providential relationships that he's bringing in order to bring us to him. God takes the initiative. When he chooses the Israelites, he's bringing his loving initiative toward people, bringing them to himself, and that's what he's still doing today. God is still making that call and drawing people to his church. He's still bringing them in. He's still showing his initiative as the jilted lover who's still showing his love and expressing it and continuing to reach out to people that they would come into his family. How does that happen? It happens when we respond in faith. When we respond in faith, we put our faith in Jesus, we become part of this chosen people. We become part of the church. We become part of the body of Christ. Go back up to verse 4. If we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. This talks about how this happens. As you come to him, come to who? He's talking about Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Drop down to verse 6. It says, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a chief cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him, that's faith, right, will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Peter is making this claim that all who believe in Jesus become part of this new people, become part of the people of God. They become this chosen race, this royal priesthood, then he's going to say. They become a people for his own possession. They become part of this thing that we call the Big C Church Universal. And the Big C Church is greater than all the sum of its parts. Jesus is its head. It's, it's filled with a bunch of different people from a bunch of different backgrounds, all kind of different shapes and sizes and colors, and it brings us all together under the banner of Jesus. And he brings us into this thing called the church. And it's all because we respond in faith as he is the one initiating and drawing us and bringing us to himself. Interestingly enough, ordinary items, everyday ordinary items, take on significant value based upon who they belong to. Let me give you a perfect example. I never thought I would actually uh, have the day when Kanye West would become a sermon illustration. But here we go. All right? So uh, if you see these sneakers on the screen, so here's a picture of Kanye West's Nike Air One Yeezy prototypes. Now, we got any sneakerheads in the house? Anybody collect sneakers or likes to buy sneakers? Some of y'all don't want to admit it. Some of y'all looking at your significant other right now like, should I put my hand up? Because you don't want to get in trouble, that's okay. But, uh, you know, I've known a good sneakerhead or two. Uh, so, the, the crazy thing about this is, so these sneakers are a prototype. They were worn one time. Kanye wore these sneakers during a performance at the 2008 Grammy Awards. They were never released by Nike and soon became the most desired sneakers among collectors and the public. Can anybody guess how much these sneakers sold for in 2021? Just, a, just not even two years ago. Anybody want to venture a guess how much they sold for? 
I heard some, okay, wait. Three million, okay, that's actually a little high, but it's, okay, that's a little high. So we got three million, we got two million. Anybody believe two million? How much you believe? 800K, okay, a little bit more than that, but you almost got it. One more, who wants to venture another guess? What we got? One point what? One million, almost. $1.8 million for a pair of sneakers that were worn once. Not only were they worn once, what's the manufacturing cost on that thing? Come on now. You know it's probably made in China, and it doesn't manufacturing cost on it isn't nearly that high. And I don't know if we got some Yeezy fans in here now, but some of the new ones too, they just look weird and they're way too overpriced. But that being said, $1.8 million all because the pair of sneakers were, not because they were worth $1.8 million in and of themselves. Why did they sell for that much? It's because who possessed them. And who possessed them was Kanye West. So Kanye West's name carries some significance that makes it more valuable than what they actually are. There is worth that is attributed to them because of who they belong to. Now think about this. When we think about being chosen by God and being a people for his possession, what does that say about you and I as the church? What does that say about you that God says you're his possession? What does it say about you that God says you are chosen? What does that say about your value? What does that say about your dignity as the, as the people of God? What does that say about you so much so that the Son of God sacrificed himself willingly to die for you? That's something significant. We have some level, we have a level of dignity. We are creating the image and likeness of God, just as humanity. But then God has this people that he calls out, and he says, these people, these are my people. They're the apple of my eye. These people, I call them. They're my family. Jesus says, I no longer just call you brothers. I call you friends. They're my friends. He gives us value because we are his possession. Peter repeatedly emphasizes the term people, that as a believer, you and I may be very ordinary as a regular person, but immense value is placed upon us because we belong to God and we are possessed by him. We have immense value because of that. We belong to him. Here's the second thing. We'll speed up a little bit. Here's the second thing. You're a royal priesthood. Royal priesthood. Go back to verse 5. In verse 5 it says this, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. What beautiful illustration and imagery, something significant that his Jewish listeners would have obviously known. And so here he says, being up, built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9, the second part, he says, you are a royal priesthood. Now, when you hear the word priesthood, just like his original audience, you can't help but think about the Old Testament. You can't help but think about the sacrificial system and how they would go into the temple and the priests were the ones who were worshiping, who led the people in worship. Now, here's one thing. What is the role of the priest? The role of the priest, according to verse 5, is that they offered spiritual sacrifices. The priests served as mediators. They were mediators between God and man. They were the ones that brought people into worship of God. They were the ones who, uh, who uh, prepared and did the sacrifice. When the sacrifice was brought, they were the one who actually did the sacrifice and then made the, uh, made the appropriate connection that needed to be made for the sacrifice. So these priests were people who represented, his king, who represented the kingdom. 
But there's two characteristics that are tied to this idea of priesthood. It says that we are a holy, a, ho a holy house. Holy means being set apart. And this relates to the way we live. But then he also says that we are a royal priesthood, which then indicates a dimension of being tied to a king. That there's some level of royalty. Do you know that you serve a king? And you are part of his kingdom. And as part of his kingdom, we are royal subjects. But in this way, we are not just subjected like God holds us under a thumb. No, we participate in worship and we are our job like it was for the nation of Israel. Do you know what the job was for the nation of Israel? For them as the people of God, they were supposed to be the envy of the rest of the other nations and they were supposed to show the nations what it meant to worship the true God in order to bring them into relationship with Yahweh. Well, New Testament believers, you know what we do? We show the worship of the true God. We usher in and we bring in people to the worship of the one true God, Yahweh. We lead them in worship. We bring them to God. That's what we do as royal priests. This beautiful imagery. We bring a message from the king about his amazing kingdom, and we're calling all people to worship him. That's what we do as the body of Christ, is it not? We bring people to the king. You and I can't bring them. All we can do is like, we can lead them, we can't save them, but we sure will bring them. We bring them to the king. We can consistently present them to the king and say, let me tell you about this great king and his kingdom. Let me tell you why he's worthy of worship. That's what we do. The last thing, look at the end of verse 9, is the people of God are not only chosen, not only are we a royal priesthood, but we're worshipers. Look at the end of verse 9. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is a purpose statement, ladies and gentlemen. This describes our response to receiving these benefits of being part of the people of God. What is the proper response for an individual? The only proper response to us receiving the blessings of God is to return it in worship to God. Let me say that again. The only proper response for you and I as individuals and corporately as the people of God, when we receive blessings from God, the only appropriate response is to return it in worship. And the reason why it's the only proper response is because he doesn't have to give it to us. It's because he gives it out of his love and his grace and we return it to him in humility and we return it back in worship because we say, you know what, God, we recognize it all comes from you. We recognize that you are the one who is leading. You are the one who's in control. You are the one who's bringing this to us. You are the one who's blessing us. You are the one who's doing it. So we return it in worship. It says to declare or proclaim. Some of your translations may say declare, but in my translation, the ESV, it says to proclaim. Very interesting word. It literally means to advertise. It means to proclaim verbally. It means that we are, pro and what are we proclaiming? We are proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are proclaiming that a transfer has taken place. That people have come out of darkness, that come now to light, that speaks of our salvation. We are proclaiming that we were once in darkness, but now we are in light. And now that our residency has been transferred, we want to bring all people into that kingdom as well. We want them to come out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we proclaim. We proclaim the greatness of our God and his ability to save. That's what we do. You and I have a reason to worship. We belong to him. We were created for him. We were saved for him. We received his mercy. 
we have a reason to worship. So what do we proclaim? We proclaim his goodness. We proclaim his power. We proclaim his glory. We proclaim his mercy. We proclaim his love. We proclaim his faithfulness. We proclaim his grace. We proclaim all of these things because our God is great. And we want people to know. So we worship as children of light. At the beginning of this message, we talked about a coin. And we talked about how there's distinctiveness in this coin, and in any coin for that matter. There's unique markers, there's unique language, there's unique symbols. I know this coin is not a U.S. coin. I know that because it has distinctive features that do not make it the same as its U.S. counterpart. However, its distinctive features make it an Ecuadorian coin. Its distinct features separate it from everything else. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, then the distinct markers of the kingdom have marked you out from the world and you are distinct and different from everybody else. You are a child of the king. You belong to a kingdom. You have a father who's a king. You have something to proclaim. You are chosen for a purpose. You are marked with the kingdom of God. And you are called to be his people. That's what we do. The church is the people of God. We carry his marks. We are separated from the world for his purpose to declare to the world that we have been brought out of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his dear light. Let's summarize this for you today. So our one truth statement was that the people of God are distinct from the world because we have been called out from the world. That's what makes us distinct. The world has its own characteristics and features. However, the people of God have been called out from that and we belong to a new kingdom. We have different marks, different features that make us distinct. We talked about just three and there's many, many more. We talked about number one is that we are chosen. God has taken his initiative to make himself known to us, and he has separated us for his possession. We're a royal priesthood, just like those Old Testament priests were doing. We bring people into worship, we serve, and we point them directly to the king, and we offer our own sacrifices, and we offer sacrifice. And we're worshipers. We know how to worship. We declare the goodness and greatness of our God. So how can you put this into practice today? I'm going to give you one question and one response. Here's the question I want you to ask yourself. What are some additional features that make believers distinct from the world? What are some additional features? Some of you may be able to think of some of those right off the top of your head right now. But I would encourage you to search the scriptures to find out what some of those distinctive characteristics are. As a matter of fact, next week we're going to start a series in the book of Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 1, he starts talking about a few more of those great uh, features that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And he kind of lays some of those out. So even if you want to go ahead, you can cheat on that way, go ahead and start reading Ephesians 1. But that being said, there are many, many different distinct features that God says about his people. And we just looked at three of them. And then secondly, I want to encourage you to worship. Worship is the response of the people of God to the greatness of God. Let me say that again. Worship is the response of the people of God to the greatness of God. Now, every person on this planet, every single person is wired for worship. You don't believe me? Worship is going to go on in a number of weeks down at some stadium in Arlington, Texas. You laugh about that, but it's worship. 
People know how to raise their voices. People identify that they're on the same team by wearing their same jerseys. People are smacking five. They're worshiping individually. They're worshiping corporately, lifting their voices. They're giving their money to their God to be able to worship. They're doing all those different things. The question isn't whether or not you're wired for worship. The question is who and what do you worship? That's the question. You and I are made to respond to the way that God has revealed himself to us. That's what we do. We respond to God. As he shows, us, as he shows himself through the scriptures, through his people, through so many different means, and we do, we respond. That's what worship is. We respond to his greatness. The people of God are worshiping people. That does not stop when circumstances change. That doesn't stop when people let us down. That doesn't stop when things are going well. That doesn't stop when things are going good. Because worship still remains the same because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. But the hour is coming and here is here now when true worshipers, that means that if there are true worshipers, there's also false ones. That true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Here's what I think that, here's what I like to say about that verse. That means we worship with our head and with our heart. We need to know about God, that's the truth part. But then we give him our hearts and we give him our all, that's the spirit part. So our, our worship is informed by not only our heads but our heart and those collectively come together and that's the, God, that's the way God wants us to worship with our head and our heart. And I believe when we worship rightly with our head and our heart, then you know what's going to happen? Our feet are going to move and we're going to walk in faith. And then we're going to start to move upon what we believe as we worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's close in prayer. So Lord, I do pray that you would help to redirect our focus in, in, in this way to help us to remember what does it mean to be part of the people of God. It's a beautiful thing to be part of the body of Christ, that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, you have given us the opportunity to be able to know you and to worship you, and God, you are so good. So Lord, I pray that you would embolden in our minds and in our hearts these realities, God, that we have been chosen that you initiated and that you are making yourself known and, and you allowed us to respond in faith. And Lord, you have called us as a royal priesthood to serve as mediators in this world, representatives of another kingdom, to be able to bring people to the king, to lead them in worship in that way. And Lord, you've wired us for worship as worshipers. Lord, may we give you our whole hearts. May we respond to your greatness in a way that's honoring to you. And if you are here today under the sound of my voice and you have to come to be part of the people of God, we have to respond in faith. We must believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth and lived a perfect life, that he died for our sins and that he was buried, but that he rose again from the dead in order to pay the price for our salvation. And when we place our faith and trust in him and his work and not ours, then we are saved and we become new creations in Christ and we could become then part of this thing called the people of God. And as citizens of the kingdom, we see his kingdom work done on this earth. If that's you today and you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I would encourage you to do so. You can do so by simply praying and, and, and allowing your heart to be open and to just give your, give your life over to Jesus. And you could do that simply by saying something like this. Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I know that Jesus came to die for my sins. 
I know that you were buried and that you rose again. Thank you for paying the price that I could not pay. I want to make you the Lord and King over my life. And I pray that you would come into me today and that you would make me a new creation in Christ. And that I can be part of this thing called the family of God. So Lord, we love you and trust you today in all things. And it's in Jesus' most precious and holy name we could pray. Amen. Amen. We can get you to stand. We're going to go ahead and pray over you. As I said, we're going to go ahead and start next week. We're going to pick up in Ephesians, and we're going to start a series in the book of Ephesians, starting in Ephesians chapter 1. Really looking forward to it because I think the book has a lot of very appropriate things uh, to talk about uh, over the next number of weeks. So I'm looking forward to getting into that. Now, it has been tradition here at Firewheel that basically we close with a benediction. And uh, I am actually going to present to you a different benediction. Uh, something that's unique, and I, I was like praying to the Lord, I'm like, you know what, God, I want to do something that I have to, as an expression of me, as a way that I would want to pray over you. And so, I know that this is going to be new, but I, I really believe that, and hopefully this will minister to you as it's ministered to me over the last number of weeks. A benediction is just a blessing. The priests would bless the people as they left in worship, and it's just a way of saying a blessing over you as we leave worship today. So may the Lord go before you to light the path and give you direction. May he go behind you to guide your steps. May he go beside you to keep you from stumbling. May he go above you to protect you. And may he go within you to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And may our Father in heaven always grant to you the character that is greater than your gifts and the humility that is greater than your influence. God bless you guys. We'll see you all next week. Mm-hmm.